Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. Amen. Praise God. Well, the Lord's good. Pastor Johnny spoke a few weeks ago on that subject, did a phenomenal job. The Lord is good all the time. God is good, devil bad. Don't, uh, simple theology, all right? God good, devil bad. Um, don't ever forget, God's good, devil's bad. Today is um, um, a wonderful day. It's the day the Lord hath made. We should rejoice and be glad in it. Um, Alice and I, of course, um, next Wednesday, they're having a celebration for us for 35 years of being senior pastors here at the church. Uh, 35. So um, I understand after the service, they're going to have ice cream, butter pecan, with Ritz crackers. Now, they haven't asked me how many Ritz go on the ice cream, all right? Hopefully before Wednesday. And they know that it has to be Publix. So uh, there will be no butter pecan ice cream at Publix after uh, Wednesday night, all right? Um, And if it so happens that they have had to buy some other brand like Breyers, Butter Become. More expensive, less taste, all right? Um, I don't blame me. That's what I'm saying. But try the real thing. It'll change your life. Um, Publix ice cream and two Ritz if you want to go overboard, three, all right? Um, But God is good, and it's been such a privilege of ours to have served for 35 years, literally just um, elected about this time, 35 years ago. Alice had just had Carla, uh, our youngest. So a lot was going on, to say the least. Um, It's been an incredible 35 years. I've made mistakes. I've done some things wrong and done some things right. And and besides, God always turns around the wrong, the good, if you keep loving God and ask Him to forgive you and help you. And that has been one of the things that I have had to um, incorporate in my life, and that is a quick forgiveness. I have no problem asking anybody for their forgiveness and extending forgiveness. And I pray that's flowed out of the Spirit and the Word onto your life also, that you don't have anybody that you have not forgiven, um, and somebody has something against you, humble yourself, maybe go to them. You say, well, it was mostly their fault. Well, the relationship may be more important than who was at fault or most at fault. Let forgiveness ooze through your life, all right, for the rest of your life. Don't wait to your deathbed to call them in and uh, ask them at that point. 
But reflecting on 35 years, um, when I first became pastor, I had been here 10 and a half years. Um, it was a challenge. It was uh, exciting. It was humbling, probably more than anything. The church, first Sunday, had 954 people. And so I was like, who am I, God? I went to a minister's meeting, and I'm five, eight and a half, which is the American average male. Um, anything above that is abnormal and below is abnormal, all right? So um, I'm just giving you facts. But I walked into a pastor's meeting, and I saw all these tall pastors. And I'm like, God, you know, it just seems like they should be doing this. Um, one day I found myself at Calvary, and it was in a meeting where I was surrounded by Joel Hunter, pastor at Northland. He's a friend. Um, I looked at him, and Joel was a little bit shorter than me. I looked over, and there was the pastor at First Baptist, or from First Baptist. I'm like, I may be a smidgen taller than him. And then I looked at, uh, well, I won't tell you who, I looked at another prominent pastor in the city, and I'm like, dear God, have mercy. God uses average people. Uh, eight and a half. And I had a little bit on a couple of them. And so I thought, God is using shorter people to change Orlando, all right? Um, and God will use you. And uh, if you're tall, pray that God use you in spite of it, all right? So anyway... <laughs> We're going to, well, I better go to the Lord in prayer. <laughs> but before I do, I want to sincerely, wholeheartedly acknowledge something. Um, there are people that give way too much credit to pastors. I just want to thank all of you, and those at the campuses, those online. I want to thank all of you because it has been all of us who have made this happen, made ministry happen, seen thousands come to Christ. Um, I, I hesitate to mention how many, but if all of them showed up at one time, they could not fit in this entire building at every nook and corner. So uh, I don't know. They're spread all over the place. And, and it was because of of all of us together. And so I want to thank you, Alice and I both, for allowing us to serve you as senior pastors. Now, in a week and a half, we will elect Pastor Johnny, and I know his heart. I know he feels the same way. I know he feels literally a, a measure of humility coming into this and, and acknowledging God uh, Help me. Uh, I know there. I've been there. And I know that he loves you and you love him. And I want you to know, church, this decision was not a consultant telling me we needed to do this. It's something we've been talking about, praying about for two or three years. And then we finally brought the consultant in to help lay out the diagram. So, uh, it's not from a consultant. It's not even from me. If I didn't believe this was God, I wouldn't be standing here saying this. But I want you to know that the average church in America, when a pastor retires, and I'm not retiring, 
Um, when they retire, they leave the church and the church has got to figure out who to get and bring in. And sometimes they bring in people that look good on paper and look good in person and don't, don't work out so good. So we've got someone who's been here 25 years, who's tried and proven and, and uh, thank God for that. So, uh, and a great preacher, an incredible preacher. So look, I could have, I could have gone and said, nope, we're going to get a bad preacher. Bring them in, make me look good. All right, I'm just saying. <laughs> I would never do that, <laughs> ever, ever. So um, thank God that uh, God has brought us all to such a time as this. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, we do celebrate what you have done. But we celebrate in faith the great things that are yet in store. Lord, we look back and we say, thank you, Lord. And we look forward and say, God, use me to make a difference in the future of this church. I pray, Lord God, that all of us, before we walk out of here, would realize that we are here for such a time as this. My God, Lord, as Esther stood in a place where only she at the moment seemed to be the perfect one to intervene for thousands of people that had a death sentence over their lives. I pray today that all of us would sense that, Lord, we understand there's a death sentence over millions of lives within our grasp. So God, help us to be like her. Step forward. Acknowledge, yes, I was born for such a time as this. And God, I'm here to do your will. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Uh, let me give you a verse that uh, I have used through the years. I used to use it all the time with people and counseling and talking to people. And I've kind of gotten away from it. I don't know why. But recently, someone came to me and they were talking. And uh, I just thought this, this verse came to my mind. And I thought this is a perfect verse for them. A simple verse, yet a powerful verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek what? First. Say it with me. Seek first. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. You read the scripture, it was referencing things of need, things of want. And so God said to the people and to us, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things that, that you may be concerned about, you don't have to be because they're going to be added to you if you seek First, the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. So whether you're pursuing education, a degree, uh, you're seeking marriage, you're, you've got a career going on, uh, and certainly if you're seeking after money, thinking it is the answer, all of these things may have their place, but first and foremost, God must have his place, and that's number one in our lives. 
Well, today I'm going to share some things with you. Um, I'm an exhorter. I have the motive gift of exhortation, and so I like the practicality of the word, and, and yet there's always, of course, the the spiritual side of the word. So let me give you some things that appear spiritual and uh, others that appear not but are actually spiritual in itself. On a spiritual level, today I want to challenge any of you listening, those of you online at the campuses, atrium, wherever you are, or wherever you hear this message in the future, I want to challenge you, if you're not born again, to realize something, you need God. You need him. But I've recently, this came to me, but you don't only need God, God needs you. God needs you. God needs us. He sent us out into the world, said, go and preach the, the good news, uh, baptizing, making disciples. So God needs all of us. Can you say amen to that? All right. So if you're not born again and you're listening to this, realize, yes, you need God and God needs you. He already has a plan for your life that does not include the direction you're going. He has a plan to do you good and not harm. He has a plan to prosper you, but he also has a plan to use you to reach people and touch lives because you're the perfect one to do it. Well, so get right with God. You, those of you here today listening and in the campuses, you can do that today before you leave this building, and I challenge you to do so. Number two, very simple, but without this, you're not going to make it. Number two, read and study God's Word. I said, read and study God's Word. We talk about the Word, and yet more and more Christians are absent the Word. Today, there's been studies done where Christians are not reading the Bible, all right? And so God helped this church to be a church of the Word of God. And uh, Pastor Johnny's going to preach the Word. Uh, you're going to hear it. But then when you leave, uh, follow up. Be like the Macedonians. Uh, follow up. Search the Scripture to see if these things be so. And uh, get the Word of God in your life and then come here and hear a great word on weekends and Wednesday. So get into the word of God. Spend time in prayer. Um, without these things, you're not going to make it spiritually. And I want you to make it, all right? Spiritually, I want you to grow. And you're not going to make it or you're not going to grow without the word and without prayer in your life. And then in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, where it says, assembling yourselves together, do not forsake it as some have done. And uh, I want to I wanna say there's uh, no doubt maybe uh, many legitimate reasons why people are not here in person. But overall, do not use COVID for an excuse. Uh, we can make, you can make uh, um, uh, precautions to come, but in COVID or no COVID, we need to come together and assemble together. We don't allow those kind of things to stop us. 
And I know the news media has tried to put great fear in our hearts, and I know people have died, unfortunately. But uh, we still, we're going to die sometime anyway. I mean, uh, I'm not minimizing that. I am saying we're going to obey the word regardless, all right? When COVID first came on the scene, March, I guess it was, of 2020, I said to Alice, I was laying, lying down, I said, Alice, uh, let me say this to you. Uh, if I die, if I get COVID and it kills me, it's been a good life. Uh, I want you to go home, marry somebody that got money. All right, so um, <laughs> I did not tell her that. But um, after I die, she can do what she wants to. All right, but anyway, um, I said, I, if I die, it's been a good life. And I'm ready to go. But I also need to tell you, I'm not going to die. <laughs> and so uh, I had, for some reason, I had zero fear of COVID and great faith that I was going to make it through. And that's not because I'm a pastor. Uh, God, somehow or another, I got a hold of that. And I want you to get a hold of that truth and fear be gone and faith arise in your heart, in your life. All right. So, enough of that. I've said more before. And number five, start tithing. Oh, my goodness. We preach this and teach it, and it's for your good. It's the Word of God. I want to see you blessed, all right? I don't want to see you struggle. I want to see you blessed of God, and the blessings flow in. You don't tithe to get but it's just an automatic thing that happens. The windows fly open in heaven, and out comes the blessing of God on your life. Uh, a story I've told once or twice, don't, don't say anything, all right? But I love this story because it illustrates many facets of giving. There was a man that came to his pastor, and he said, Pastor, pray for me. I am having a t problem tithing. I make $50,000 a week, and $5,000 is a lot of money, and I'm struggling tithing. He said, I used to make $500, and $50 didn't seem like that much. I was freely tithing, but it seems like now five is so much, so pray for me. The pastor said, well, let's pray. Pastor started praying, Lord, Help him to go back to making $500 a week so he can tithe. Now, I don't want to pray that over your life. I want you to make $50,000 if you are capable of doing so, and I want you to tithe every dime, okay? And then I want you to give offerings, and, and uh, above that, uh, you should. All right, but if you're making that much money, you need to let it overflow, be like a channel where it goes through your life. And uh, I have tithed when I had nothing. I have tithed when I would have been labeled poor. And I have tithed right on into the blessings of God. And uh, I don't plan to stop ever, never. And every baby Christian, even baby Christians should be tithing. Few amens. Uh, take a water on that one. Start tithing. Baby Christians should tithe. 
and then give offerings above that. Uh, it's about the kingdom of God. Have you come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Then you're going to pray. You're going to get in the word. You're going to give. You're going to evangelize. You're going to witness. You're going you're to do all that God wants you to do. And number six, be baptized in water. If you are a believer and you've never been baptized in water, let Wayne the Baptist all right, baptize you in water. Uh, I think it was Pastor Johnny that labeled him that. He'd been baptizing here for 25 plus years. Uh, um, anyway, be baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons I believe God has raised up this church is because we emphasize the work of the Holy Spirit in this place. Uh, and also, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. 30 years ago, I read a report that in Pentecostal churches, there was not even on the average 50% of the people baptized in the Holy Spirit, which meant they were no longer a Pentecostal church because they were not in practice of it. And so, by the grace and help of God, you, uh, you don't have to wait for a sermon on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You can get the word out, turn to the book of Acts, get in that word, and get baptized in the Holy Spirit of God. God will baptize you. All right. Now, on a practical level, as a pastor, uh, I'm going to say this before, you know, this coming weekend. I'm going to say it today uh, on a practical level. If you don't have uh, term life insurance and you have family and you, you absolutely, I am so grieved when I hear someone passes and there's no money whatsoever, no insurance. God gives us good sense. We buy some term insurance. That's a good place to say amen, whether you do or not. Now, if you're 16 years old, you don't need it, all right? So, uh, or if, if you are somebody that, you know, it's not going to be an issue. I, I, I met one person, and I love them dearly. They used to attend our church, but uh, they had so much insurance. They had it for... Um, they had it for their grandkids. They wanted when they die to bless their grandkids and their children and all of that. Dear Lord, get, let, let, let them go get a job, all right? And uh, you don't need to nearly starve to death on your social security so you can bless them when you die, all right? They'll be blessed just because uh, of who you are. So buy some life insurance. I'm so, uh, I'm so, this is so important. Number two, make a will. If you have small children. You want your mean sister to get your kids? No. Make a will for heaven's sakes. I'm, I'm not thinking of anybody, all right? Make a will and download it from the website. Fill it out for free. You do have to give 10% to the uh, church, but you'll be dead and you won't care, all right? So anyway, make a will. Go on the website and then start planning for the future. Living on Social Security is almost an impossibility. So plan for the future. Start laying some aside. Number four, spend wisely. Spend wisely and build up sales resistance so you won't let some salesman talk you into buying something you don't need. All right? Spend wisely. 
The other day, I heard Dave Ramsey talking to a guy, and uh, he said, look, you shouldn't buy a brand new car unless you got a million dollars in assets. I, I'm, that's not my words. That's Dave Ramsey, and he's a good guy and knows what he's doing, all right? And there may be exceptions. I'm not saying that. All right. So, listen, in a couple of weeks, uh, on the 12th, we're going to elect Pastor Johnny as senior pastor of this church. And I uh, couldn't be happier. Him and Jamie are going to do a fabulous job. I want you to encourage him. I want you to pray for him. I want you to help him. I want you, I don't want you to ask him, what do, you, what do I need to do around here? Now, that's one thing I don't want you to ask. All right, unless it's a unique situation. Just somebody, see, people have come up to me and I, I, tr I love them and I try to answer, but they come up to me and they say, Pastor, what should I do in the church? I want to do something. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what your gifts are. I don't know what abilities you have. Do you sing? I always go to that for some reason, all right, trying to help out Pastor John. Do you sing? Well, sing me a line. No, you don't sing. All right, so anyway. Uh, <laughs> No, you belong in greeting and ushering somewhere else, all right? Uh, there, was, there was a man by the name of Frank Pettis years ago, big burly guy, and uh, he wanted to get in ministry, and he joined the choir. Next thing I knew, they had kicked him out. Uh, not literally, but uh, they had asked him to look for some other ministry. That wasn't the one for him. He didn't get a chip on his shoulders. He didn't act like he was offended for the rest of his life. No, he went looking for something better because it dawned on him he really couldn't sing. All right? So he found Royal Rangers, and that man became an absolutely phenomenal Royal Ranger leader. Was here for years before he moved away, and he got involved in the church that he moved to. Well, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Who knows? Some of people have said, I would rather have lived at a different time in history. No, you wouldn't. No, you, God has got you right where he wants you. He has called you to be a part of what he is doing. And if this is your church, then he's called you to make this uh, uh, absolutely church where you can do anything you can to help, led by his spirit. You're going to pray for this uh, uh, pastor. You're going to pray for this church. You're going to be one of the best church members uh, around. And by the way, after service today, one o'clock, uh, there is in the prayer room, I believe, a membership meeting. Do you realize you can come to that meeting on the 12th, but uh, corporately, according to the state of Florida, you can't even vote uh, unless you're a member. So pack that place out and get signed up, all right, so you can vote. This is historic in the history of our church. Well, I want to go to a book that is one of my favorites. And I remember the first time I read it, it was full of intrigue. It was full of the good guy wins in the end. It uh, was full of somebody really bad and some people really good. And then it was filled with people in leadership that were silly and, and nonsensical. All right. Uh, or, you know, anyway, they were senseless in many ways. Uh, but it was the story of Esther. And it's an incredible story. Um, 
And if you've never read it, you have got to go and read this story. So this is where we find the phrase, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And Mordecai, her uncle, her cousin, was the one that told Esther these words. Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And he said, God may deliver the Jews by somebody else, but you're the perfect one to do it. You are in a special place where God has you. And so you should be the one to deliver the people or be a part of that deliverance. This is a fascinating book. It's filled with a king that the more I look at his life, the more I, I think he needed another job. But King Ahasuerus was a man that was over a great empire, all right? And, and just because somebody's over a great empire doesn't mean they belong there. But this man made some poor decisions. His wife was uh, Queen Vashta, and uh, his wife was a very beautiful woman, according to the word. And so the king was having a big grand party, and he thought of Vashti, and he called for her to come and parade her beauty before all those probably drunken people. And uh, when she heard about it, she was like, no, I'm, uh, tell him I'm not coming out there to parade myself in front of all these people, uh, gawking people. And so she refused to come. And as a result of that, uh, instead of the king, Ahasuerus saying, uh, folks, we'll have to have her come some other time. She's not available tonight, or, or she's not feeling well, or she's mad at me, whatever. Say something, but he didn't. And uh, his, uh, those around him, make sure you are surrounded by good people. Those around him said, you need, because she disobeyed you, you need to get rid of her. And you need another queen. So that's what they talked him into doing. Making a rash decision, get rid of his queen. And then they suggested going out and bringing all these women, girls, in to see who he would choose to make the next queen. And uh, Esther, though she was an orphan, she thought she was probably a nobody. She was a very beautiful woman, and she was brought in. And she had favor because I believe she walked in there not thinking I'm somebody. She walked in there humble. She walked in there in innocence. And God gave her favor, so she became the queen. And then enters the story of Haman. He's the bad guy. And uh, Haman... Uh, was elected to be the, like the second in command in the kingdom. He was a arrogant, uh, self-centered, self-righteous type of individual, the kind of person you just don't like. And uh, this man was so conceited that when he would go through the gate of the city, Mordecai, her uncle, Esther's uncle, Hadassah, uh, her uncle was sitting there at the gate. And something had previously happened while he was sitting at the gate. He heard about two men that were talking within earshot. He heard them talking about killing the king. He reported it, and it was recorded in the palace library. And so then Haman is elected, 
And Haman drives through and Mordecai, being a Jew, will not pay homage to Haman. And so Haman, it makes him mad. Everybody else is bowing down and kowtowing. Some of you don't know what that word is. And uh, he's bowing down to them, but not Mordecai. Mordecai was not bowing down to anybody but God. And so this Haman began to hate him with a passion and plotted a plan to come up with not only killing Mordecai, but killing all the Jews in his entire kingdom and talk the king into doing it. The king was not the smartest guy because there were thousands of Jews and many of them were involved in commerce and it was going to be devastating to his empire. But he listened to a man of hate. Make sure you don't listen to people filled with hate. And uh, he listened to it. And sent out a decree on such and such a day. All the Jews in all my empire will be killed and their property taken. And so the Jews, Esther was upset. I mean, she heard and Mordecai, I mean, began to fast and pray and throw on ashes. He was in desperation and he sends for her. She's queen. And he says, now's your time. Who knows whether you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And don't turn to the scripture, guys. I don't have time. But then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. She realized God had placed her in that position. God has placed you in a position. And she realized God had placed her in this position. And so she says to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews in the whole city and fast. Everybody fast and do not eat or drink for three full days. Whoa. This is uh, right on the scale of edge of danger, all right, without drinking or eating for three whole days. But she said she was so desperate because it was against the law to go ask the king unannounced. And that's what she was going to have to do. She hadn't been called in some time. And so they began to pray and they began to fast because she had been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. You do not know whether you have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Pastor Johnny and Jamie have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Why? He is uh, 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 the model that, uh, and, the, and the one that God has called to come now and so to take this church on into the future and uh, specifically unique and perfect for the job, just like Esther was perfect for the job. And you're, you're special too, but we're not going to make you pastor. All right. But uh, so sorry about that. Hang around 25 years. There may be a possibility. All right. But Esther realized, oh my goodness, I have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. Recently, a man called and left a message. And it was a week I was very busy, and the notes said, he was here when the church began and would like to talk to someone. I'm like, I'm not going to. That was before my time. I'm not even going to call him. Uh, but I did. Eventually, that week, I called him. And it was an interesting conversation because he began to ask me about the Goldenrod campus. The first little gathering over there was in a little brick church house. It wasn't very big at all, but it had a good-sized room in the front. They knocked out one wall and made one less bedroom. 
so they could hold service. And in that house every week gathered about 20, 25 or so people. One of the young ladies that came, a, a teenager, invited this man who was also in high school to come to church. And he came and he began to describe the place. And I said, yes, it's, that's perfect. You were there. I, I was too. I lived in the back bedroom and uh, when I came. And so we began to converse and he said, yeah, there was just a few of us. There weren't very many of us. And yet we kept coming. And I think I was even a member. Um, I want you to think about something. In the very um, start of this church was 20 25 people, maybe on a big day, 35, meeting in a church house that wasn't very even pretty at all. And a high school girl invites him to be a part of it. And he comes. It's not like now where these high schoolers can invite somebody and they're blown away with all God has done here. No, it was just an ugly old house. Well, it was pretty to me, all right? But he said... I was there, and I began to think about this and realize, what if they had said, you know, we're not growing. This is, this is not working. I mean, this is never going to amount to anything. What are we even doing here? Is it really important that we're even here? And I propose to you, if that 20, 30 people had not kept coming week after week after week, that this wouldn't be here. You wouldn't even be sitting here today if those people had just disbanded and gone somewhere else. And so think about it. 35 years ago, when I became pastor, I was young. I, I really didn't know what I was doing to a great, well, I'd been here 10 and a half years. I, I, I love the church already, but I'd never been pastor. And um, there was a prominent pastor in the city that I heard that he had said, oh, that church is going to fall apart. That young man, he's not going to be able to do anything. Now, I heard about it, and it made me mad. And I'm like, that rascal. I may love him, but I don't like him right now. And... Um, I got up one Sunday, I think the next Sunday, and I said, folks, there's a pastor in this city. I'm not going to give his name, but he said that we're going to fail, and I want to ask you something. I want to ask you to join me, and because of him alone, we're not going to fail. We're going to gather together. We're going to be a church that grows and thrives and does the will of God, and there were some that quit coming. There were some. There was a prominent Sunday school teacher that thought he'd start a church. And um, that didn't last. And, and yet, I, I'm not holding it against him. But um, as a result of that, I, I saw the people gather together. But I want to let you know something. If those people had not rallied behind Alice and I, this wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. So I'm telling you that. Because in a couple of weeks, there'll be a new lead pastor. And I don't even have to ask. I know you're going to rally around and join and go forward. I don't even have to ask. Why? 
because you're good and God's good and you know and you see what God has done in this place. You know, I have tried and please give me just five more minutes, all right? Don't hold me to that, but five at least, all right? Give me five. And the guys are going to put it on the screen to start with. But um, I have tried to preach God's word and make Christ the center of this church forever. Uh, over at the other campus, we buried a Bible in the center of the building. I think we did the same thing here. Uh, we've tried to make Christ the center here of focus um, and stay with the basics and um, preach the word. Because, you know, Jesus can be found in every book of the Bible. Every book, he's there. Like in Genesis, he's the ram at Abraham's altar. And in Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the high priest in numbers. He's the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And in Deuteronomy, he's the city of refuge. In Joshua, he's a scarlet thread out Rahab's window. In Judges, he's our judge. In Ruth, he's our kinsman, redeemer. And in First and Second Samuel, he's our trusted prophet. And in First and uh, in Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's the faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of everything that is broken. And in Esther, he's Mordecai, sitting faithful at the city gate in Job. He is my beloved that ever liveth. In Psalms, he is my shepherd, and I shall not want. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he's our wisdom. And in the Song of Solomon, he's the beautiful bridegroom. In Isaiah, he's a suffering servant. And in Jeremiah and Lamentations, it is Jesus that is the weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he's the wonderful four-faced man. And in Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Hosea, he is my love that is forever faithful. In Joel, he baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. In Amos, he's our burden bearer. In Obadiah, our savior. And in Jonah, he's the great foreign missionary that saves the world. And in Micah, you go on and he's the messenger with beautiful feet. Uh, and Nahum, he's the avenger. In Habakkuk, he's the watchman praying for revival. And in Zephaniah, oh, he's the Lord that saves. And in Haggai, he's the restorer of the lost heritage. And in Zechariah, he's our fountain. And in Malachi, he's the son of God with healing in his wings. And Matthew, he's the Christ, the son of the living God. And Mark, he's the miracle worker. And Luke, he is the son of man. And in John, he's the door by which every one of us must enter. And in Acts, he's the light that shone upon Paul on the road to Damascus. And in Romans, he's our justifier. In 1 Corinthians, our resurrection. In 2 Corinthians, he's our sin bearer. In Galatians, he redeems us from the law. In Ephesians, 
He's our unsearchable riches. And in Philippians, He supplies our every need. And in Colossians, He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And in 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, He's our soon coming King. In 1st and 2nd Timothy, He's the mediator between God and man. And in Titus, He's our blessed hope. In Philemon, He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And in Hebrews, He's the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, it is the Lord that heals the sick. And in 1st and 2nd Peter, He's our chief shepherd. In 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, it is Jesus who has the tenderness of love. And in Jude, it is the Lord coming with 10,000 of His saints. And in Revelation, lift up your eyes, church. Your redemption draweth nigh. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Well, I wonder, do you know Him? And I wonder, do you know you have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. You have been called to this church for such a time as this. Every one of us have been called. Every one of us have our place. Bow your heads with us, please. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.